All right, good morning. Well, uh, welcome to all of you that are gathered here on the high holy day of Super Bowl. And uh, <laughs> uh, Wednesday night I had the opportunity to, to teach as we've been going through Peter and, and uh, deal with uh, godly wives. And today we're going to be looking at the four marks of a godly husband as we continue through the book of First Peter. Um, and I just, you know, I find it interesting that this study happened to land on today, right? Because I don't necessarily, like, look into the calendar forward, but, you know, a Super Bowl is, is a day of, of great and mighty, intense focus, mostly from the guys, but from the ladies as well. But, but the game is the only thing that exists for a lot of guys today. And, um, but, guys, this is your public service announcement. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So... <laughs> Um, so I just thought it was interesting that the, that the Lord would have us going through a reminder here on, on what, what he wants, what he's calling godly husbands to do in the, in the, in the treatment of their wives and the behavior and all that. But before we get into that, I, I gave this disclaimer Wednesday as well. And, and if you weren't here Wednesday or haven't watched the Wednesday study yet, um, as I said, we were talking about godly wives. And my disclaimer was thus, just to deal with the elephant in the room, so to speak. Uh, many of you know and are aware that I am single. I am not a married man. I have never been a married man. And uh, for some, what that means or could mean is that it's difficult to hear a teaching from me on marriage, on husbands, on wives. Um, and, and I get that. I understand how that might be difficult for some. You know, over the years, I've had the opportunity in, in pastoral ministry and counseling to actually counsel married couples. And there have been those over the years that are like, how? <laughs> What counsel can you possibly give a married couple? And, um, you know, how, how can the guy who's never been married teach about marriage, you know? And uh, the, the answer that, that I have, the answer the Lord's given me and I've shared over the years, um, is simply this. Very humbly, with, with, with great humility, the reason that, that I believe I could teach on this and, and I've been allowed to even counsel in situations is because I have the same exact instruction manual that you married couples do. I have the very exact set of blueprints and instructions on what marriage is, what it's to be, uh, the call and the teaching for what a husband is to be, what a wife is to be. I have the same exact text that you do. And so in teaching from that text, I am I, very confident uh, in the gift and the calling that God has placed on my life to teach his word. I'm very confident in his enabling and empowering uh, of myself to do that through his Holy Spirit, and so I do teach his word, and I teach all of his word, including the things that I might not have direct personal experience in, but I teach it in such a way to, to, to be very careful not to interject my own personal opinion based on experience, because I have none. Okay, I'm not married. All right, I get that. Um, but on that note, I do feel that at times, not all the time, but at times in my life, um, my personal lack of personal experience as a married person um, has allowed me to, to really teach and counsel what the Word of God says about marriage and about these topics without any temptation to let my personal experiences maybe water down what the Word of God says or to excuse it or make apology for it or soften it. And so that's my disclaimer this morning, all right? So I just pray you guys would hear what the Word of God says, and that's going to be my focus. What does God's Word say about these things? And so um, in ancient times, fortresses were built uh, with, with just massive walls of stone, 
tall battlements, strong gates. And the idea is that in ancient times, fortresses were a place that if you lived inside the fortress, you were kept safe, you were protected. Typical fortresses in ancient times had four sides. They typically had a north wall, a south wall, a west wall, an east wall. But marriages can be similar to that. They are an institution designed by God to be built according to God's instructions. And those who build it properly and remain within its walls are kept safe, are protected. Now, that does require an enormous amount of commitment on both parties for that to happen, but this morning I want to build upon what I shared on Wednesday as Peter was giving instruction to wives that um, I want to look at four principles from verse 7 in 1 Peter chapter 3 that really form the, the four walls of the fortress of a husband's love, okay? Um, they're all designed to protect those within the walls, and they really provide a wonderfully beautiful picture of a godly husband. So if you're a single man in here looking to be married one day, take note, all right? Uh, this is the time to learn and develop the skills here, and if you are married, um, I pray that this is an encouragement to you. For some, that you are, you are living these things uh, faithfully. Let it be a reminder and encouragement to you. Maybe you're here this morning as a husband, and you've been faltering on some of these things, and so I pray that you would hear the Lord. Hear the Lord's encouragement and challenge to you. This isn't an exhaustive listing of what the word calls a husband to do um, as a godly husband, but they're elements from the context of the book of Peter here on what is expected of a godly husband. And so, um, so that's what we're going to look at. Now, on Wednesday, I did say that in my ministry and over, uh, over the years of my own life, I have observed that marriage often simply seems to magnify the personality that you already have, Right? Um, people get, get married, and, and, and sometimes they think, oh, once I get married, everything's going to change, right? I'm not going to be this way anymore. I'm not going to be that way anymore. And, and, and what I've observed is, is quite often and most often, it's not that. It's, it's you get married, and, and who you already are, how you already behave, the actions and behaviors you already do just get magnified. And then again, in my years of ministry and counseling and teaching, I have discovered, um, and this is my belief, that without Jesus... Every single human being on earth is incompatible with every other human being on earth, okay? And the reason is, is because at our core, we are fallen, selfish sinners, right? We all have the quirks in our personality. We have our odd habits. Um, we have our weird behaviors. Some of us have extreme traumas and things that have happened to us in our past that, that, that dictate how we behave and how we respond to things in the future. But sometimes I've seen um, two people that, that want to come together in marriage, and they, they, they'll come to the marriage altar in that context of we want to be married, and they'll have this picture in their mind of the perfect partner. And they'll go, that's who my partner's going to become because of my wonderful influence in their lives. The problem is, um, sometimes people forget that they're marrying an imperfect person, right? Who, believe it or not, is also marrying an imperfect person, right? <gasps> that might be shocking to some of you, you know? And so um, option one, really, for, for, for couples sometimes is to, is to tear up the picture, tear up this image of this perfect partner that they have and accept the imperfect person that God has given to them. Or... What sadly happens a lot of times is they end up tearing up the person because they want to accept the picture 
the picture of, of what really doesn't exist. So um, it's important to follow God's purpose and plans for marriage. It's important to follow his plans and purposes for, for being a husband, being a wife, and in that, really allowing the Holy Spirit to change your heart, because that's the business that God is in. And so, so as I said, this morning we're going to be looking at these four marks of a godly husband, um, four sides that, that, using that picture of the fortress, four sides to the fortress of a husband's love. And the first one's going to be that submission goes both ways. The second one will be that understanding is essential. The third one will be that cooperation is practical. And then the fourth one will be division is counterproductive. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you, God, for your word, Lord, and we thank you that it is applicable to every area of our lives, every moment of our lives, every detail of our lives, God. Lord, we are fallen people that have put our faith in you, Lord. Those of us that, that would say we are Christians, we are believers, Lord. That as we have called out to you, Lord, in our wretched state, in our broken state, with our messed up lives, Lord, you have entered into that mess to mold us and to shape us into your image. God, that you teach us how to love supernaturally. You teach us how to minister and serve supernaturally. You teach us how to submit and yield supernaturally. God, in ways that are simply not possible on our own, and we're so thankful, God, because your ways are the right ways, and your ways lead to peace and harmony and joy and, and all of those things, God. And so we just ask this morning that you would speak to every single one of us, Lord, but specifically this morning, we're in the context of speaking to husbands or even those who might want to be husbands one day. And God, that we would hear your will, your call, Lord, for, for how a husband is to treat their wife, God. And Lord, just with our study last Wednesday in, in looking at godly wives, Lord, we know that none of us are perfect. We know that we all fail and we all stumble. And so God, as we close today and look at the necessity of forgiveness, Lord, which really makes all of this possible, God. We just ask, Lord, that you would bless us today. Bless the husbands today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're gonna be in one verse. Verse seven of 1 Peter chapter three, and this is what it says. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, after my study last week, someone asked, why does Peter devote six verses to wives and only one to husbands? All right? Well, my answer to you was, well, don't get all upset because Ephesians chapter five devotes two to wives and seven to husbands. So it's not a competition, okay? <laughs> it's God's word speaking into these moments here. But, but we find all four of these marks in this one verse here in Peter, these four sides of the fortress, so to speak. And the first one is simply this, that submission goes both ways. You see, he opens up the verse there where he says, husbands, in the same way, all right? Just a few verses earlier, he said, wives, in the same way. Back in, in, in 1 Peter chapter two, this theme of Christian submission has is, is been the central focus of Peter's writing here, and in chapter two, verse 13, just a few weeks ago, we looked at where he says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord. In chapter two, verse 18, he said, submit to your masters, which in the modern context is your employers, right? Chapter three, verse one, as I just said, he said, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And so as Christians, we're called to submit ourselves to, to as citizens to our governments, as, as employees to our employers, as, as, as wives in that context to their own husbands. And in and, and here, he's building on that. So now husbands in the same way. He doesn't actually physically use the word submit there, but the context tells us that that's what he's talking about. 
And as we've looked at in those past, uh, uh, past examples, that word submit means voluntary cooperation. Or another way to put it is to yield, right? Someone asked me the other day, I don't understand what that word yield means. Yielding means that, that you give way for something else to happen. Even though you might be able to step in and do it, you might have a, a right and a place to enforce your way and your will, but you yield. You say, you know what, but I'm going to let someone else lead. And that's the context of wives yielding, letting the husbands be the head of the household as God has commanded them to be. Now, there are differences, obviously, in, in how we submit and how we yield as a citizen to our government how we yield as an employee, as a wife and a husband, but regardless of those nuances in, in how that is practically applied, there is a level of mutual submission that takes place between a husband and a wife as the Bible teaches. So we're gonna jump to Ephesians chapter five real quick to look at some of those verses for husbands, right? Because they are complementary to what Peter is teaching here. So if you go to Ephesians chapter five, um, Starting in verse 21, 22, this is one of the most famous passages of Scripture uh, in the New Testament on the topic of marriage. Um, it's used in weddings often. I use it in the times I've, I've had the opportunity to officiate weddings. But often when teaching this section, um, sometimes people start in verse 22. They start in verse 22 to teach this section, and it says there in verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then they'll go through the rest of the passage. I personally think that the key to understanding this whole section of Ephesians begins in verse 21. That's where the key to understanding what Paul is getting at as he wrote Ephesians is all about. So in Ephesians 5.21, he's been given a teaching to the entire congregation at the Ephesian church there. And he closes that by saying, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now that concludes a thought he began in verse 15, which was all about how Christians are to walk in wisdom and in doing that, glorifying God in obedience through submission and service to one another. But right after he introduces that thought, he says, so submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Then he goes on to give four examples of submission. And the first example he gives is that of the wife to her husband. Then he gives the example of husbands to their wives and then children to their parents and servants. So what exactly does a husband submitting to their wife look like? What is the Bible talking about here? Because that's what Peter says, husbands in the same way. Well, for wives, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, this is what we looked at last Wednesday. Basically, the concept was that for the wives, um, they, they were encouraged to put a higher priority on the inner beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which was really the concept of, of, of the wives to, to have actions uh, and, and attitudes that helped support, helped encourage, helped, um, um, helped the husband in leading right? It was the idea of put on an attitude that, that helps your husband be the leader in the home and then follow his lead because that's what God has called him to do. Now, obviously, this doesn't happen automatically. It's easier in some relationships, harder in other relationships. And then on top of that, the husband always doesn't always make the best decision, right? Which that was the exact example Peter used as he cited the example of Abraham and Sarah, However, the wife was still called by the Lord to yield to or to follow the leadership of her husband, 
which incidentally is just impossible on her own, but completely possible through the power of the Holy Spirit in her life. Now for husbands, we see part of the picture of husbandly submission in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And like I said, this really complements 1 Peter 3, 17. This is what it says in Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, I don't think there's any greater act of submission, any greater act of yielding your life to and for another than the willingness to die for them. And the willingness to die for them in every way. Jesus on the cross was the greatest demonstration of submission that I think has ever happened. Because it was there on the cross that Jesus submitted to the Father's will. What Jesus did is he yielded his own will. He yielded what he deserved, right? He was sinless. He deserved to live, but he yielded that. He yielded what was best for him for what was best for mankind in their need for forgiveness from sin. A profound act of submission we're seen there in Jesus on the cross. In Ephesians, it's telling the husbands to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So the idea there is that it's the same for the husbands toward their wives. That although he is the head of the household, although he is called to to be the leader, so to speak, in that marriage relationship, that he is to submit or yield all of his rights to himself for her sake. That he's called to put her needs, what's best for her, not himself, really at the first priority in his decision-making. He's really called to sacrifice what's best for him in exchange for what's best for her and best for the relationship. So it's the idea of her needs and her feelings and her desires and her benefit and her well-being are a higher priority for the husband than his own individual needs that he might have had as a single man. And why? Because he's not single anymore. But in this submission... The husband doesn't stop being the leader or the head of the family any more than Jesus stopped being, being in charge on the cross. As I mentioned before, God's design for everything has order. God's design for how church government is supposed to run and churches are ran has order. God's design for nature has order. God's design for the family has order. There's structure, and so it's in Ephesians 5.23. Right after he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, he says, because the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. And so there's an order there that the Bible teaches. And it's not there because he is superior to her. It's not there because he's better at it. It's simply because God said so. It's God's order. And so submission goes both ways. Goes both ways. That's the first mark, I believe, of a godly husband. The second mark of a godly husband, the second wall of this fortress, is that understanding is essential. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3 and look again in verse 7. It says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner. Now, the word understanding there, that word means with knowledge. But specifically, the kind of knowledge that is gained from study or investigation. That's what that word understanding means there. 
So basically what he's saying is like, look, know through study and investigation what God's purpose is for marriage. Know what, what, what your role is as a husband in the marriage and what her role is as a wife in the marriage. But above all of that, know her. Know her. The best husbands that I've had the opportunity to watch and observe over the years are really lifelong students of their wives. They know their wives, and they know them well. They understand them. And it's really important because if, if I think biblically, if you're going to love her well, you're going to need to know her well. And I think the big, biggest reason for that is because she's different than you. She's different. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. That word corresponding means suitable or comparable counterpart. But in the Hebrew, this is how it reads. I am going to make a helper like opposite him. Like opposite, right? Like him, but opposite, corresponding. It's like the North Pole and the South Pole, right? They're both poles. They're like each other, but they're opposite. And both are very important. Both bring balance to the earth, right? If you took away one of the poles, earth would just go all out of whack. Contrary to modern liberal thinking, men and women are indeed both different and similar. They are the same species. They are both humans. But there's different wiring. There's different wiring. There was a book written on brain psychology, or physiology. And if you want the title of the book, I could give it to you after. But it says this in this book. And this was uh, uh, written by some uh, psychologists and doctors and medical people. And they you know, were doing studies and whatnot, and this is what they said. Men are different from women. 12 years of med school to come up with that, right? But let me continue. They're equal only in their common membership of the same species, humankind. But to maintain that they're exactly the same in aptitude, skill, behavior, is to build a society on a biological and scientific lie. Men and women are different because their brains and biology are different. Not better, not inferior, not superior, just different. And the Bible supports this. Biology supports this. Biology tells us that men and women are different in so many different ways. They're different in their basal metabolism, different in their skeletal makeup, different in blood composition, heart rate, muscle mass, and on and on and on. And the modern thought that, 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 that men and women are exactly the same, and so therefore we're going to have biological males athletically compete with biological females, the difference between the two is demonstrated over and over again as what I think is a travesty that, that young women who have trained their whole lives to be number one in their sport go up somebody who is just physio physiologically stronger, faster than them, and their whole life is, is, is done away with because, oh no, we just have to let this person who has a mental health issue compete with the girls. It is ridiculous. 
It is ridiculous to me that the same secular society, when it comes to COVID, goes, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. But when it comes to biology, oh, suddenly we're not going to look at science anymore. There's relational differences between men and women. Women in general tend to find their identity in their close relationships. Men tend to find their identity in what they do, their vocation, their job. There's communication differences. Men on, men on average tend to be more of get to the bottom line, cut to the chase, tell me what you want. Right? We don't want all the details. We don't need the journey of how we got here. Just, just, just what do you need? Right? Women, on average, generally tend to want to share all the details. It's not a bad thing, it's just different. Right? And, 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 and sometimes women in sharing, they, 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 there's a whole experience of the journey of how we got here that's very important. It's not bad. Please, don't misunderstand me. But one thing I've noticed in happy marriages and the marriages that I've had the opportunity to observe over the years is where these differences are understood embraced, celebrated, there's harmony. Not the, why don't you think like me? Why don't you do this like me? Why don't you process like me? Why don't you handle this like me? No, but the, you're different. And when that's embraced, it's beautiful. Now, of course, there's exceptions to these generalities, right? I've met males that just talk and talk and want to share all the, right? I've met, I've met ladies who, who, you know, really find identity in what they do in a vocational sense, right? There's exceptions to the rules. But even in those exceptions, understanding is key. Understanding is key. And so husbands, it says here, understand your wife. But notice it says, understand your wife, right? Because your wife, although possessing the general qualities of how God created her as a female, she's also going to have unique nuances to her personality, which make her different from every other woman that exists. And she's the one God gave to you. So understand her. It's not, why can't you be like, because she's not that person, she's her. So understand her, study her, know her, all of her idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies, all of her quirks, habits, even the traumas and the fears because guys, there are women that have experienced horrific trauma in their lives, abuses, different type of stuff that have, that have radically, radically wounded them and they still carry the scars and the wounds of that and some of these women think, can I ever be? a quiet and submissive godly wife that, that Peter just said in the verse, verse six verses. And of course the answer is yes, God could heal you and change you and restore you, but they might be in the process of that healing and husbands know that so that you could be patient in loving her through those things as she is working on um, her issues and the Holy Spirit's working in her life just like he's working in yours. Understanding will help will help you love her the way that she needs you to love her. And it will help you be patient with her as she's being molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, I gotta deal with this phrase, weaker partner, right? 
not a trap. It's not a trap. What did he mean here by weaker partner, right? What he does not mean is weaker intellectually, weaker emotionally, even weaker spiritually. He doesn't mean that. As a matter of fact, in most studies that that are able to find, women tend to be more mature emotionally than guys are. Women tend to be more spiritually focused and in tune than, than, than males are. It's just, it's something that bears fruit over and over again. What he means there when he says weaker partner, that word weaker literally means wanting in physical strength. Wanting in physical strength. I mentioned some of this earlier, but Dr. Katharina Dalton wrote a book regarding the biological differences between males and females, and this is what they found in their studies, that uh, that, uh, female blood contains more water and 20% fewer red blood cells than males, than male blood. Red blood cells are the blood cells that carry oxygen throughout the body. And what they found in their studies is because female blood carries 20% fewer red blood cells, that accounted for the fact that females tend to tire quicker than males do. And also accounted for the fact that that in, in many cases, females tend to be more prone to faint than males. Just a biological difference. LiveScience.com documented a 2005 study in the Medical Journal of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. And what they found is that on average, men have half the nerve fibers per square centimeter of skin than women do. Meaning men feel pain less than women do. Interesting. Now, if you look at it from the sense of, uh, well, did God create men to have a particular role, especially in ancient times, to go out and fight wars and to, you know, fight off the animals that are attacking the crops. And, <laughs> and maybe he said, yeah, and so you're going to feel pain 50% less. I don't know. I shared this with my assistant, and she goes, then why did God have us the ones bear children? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> I don't know. Ask him when you get there. But again, this is, this is on average, right? There are exceptions. You know, there are women who are just physically, physically strong and trained and, and, and are just really just champions of strength, you know? I mean, it, it, the point is, is that in generally speaking, what he's saying here using this term weaker is that on average, women are physically weaker than men, and it's not wrong to acknowledge that. It's not wrong to acknowledge that. Again, my assistant, she goes, oh, I love acknowledging this, you know, because if there's something heavy I don't want to pick up, she just goes, oh, it's too heavy, and the guys just swarm in and pick it up for her, right? She figured us out, figured us out. So, but what does this mean in a practical application of how a husband is to treat his wife, right? Why did he say this here? Well, he, he, in the CSB, he says weaker partner. That word partner means a person, uh, an individual understood as a container, right? So that's why in other translations, it says weaker vessel, right? Like a, like a vessel, a, a clay jar. The idea is this. If you couple that concept that she is a physically weaker, um, uh, like a physically weaker container, like a, like a clay jar in that sense, and you couple that with the concept that you're supposed to live with her in an understanding in a way and that you understand her, you understand her makeup of all that, people have said that it's this idea, that you treat her. You treat her, not just physically, but treat her in the way you talk and, and, and all that. You treat her like very expensive, high-value, priceless china, not a paper plate. 
You treat her with, 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 as delicate, not because you're like, oh, you poor little sad thing. No, it's just the value that she has is what it's talking about here. Now, to be completely honest, the concept of fine china is lost on me, right? Like my grandma had fine china, and, and, and instead of looking at that as like, oh, something of high value, I always thought, what a waste. It just stays in the cabinet. We never use it anyways, <laughs> right? So, so fine china. I'm like, I get the concept, but I thought, okay, maybe, maybe for the generation that doesn't really connect to that idea of fine china, how, how can I put this for the, for the guys? Guys, treat her like that new, out-of-stock-everywhere PlayStation 5. I identify with this one greatly, right? That thing that is just of incredible value to you, you know, you're going to keep it safe, right? You know? Nobody can get a PlayStation 5. Just don't bang on Don't drop it, you know? Anyways, the idea is this. is There's, there's, there's soft spots, right? This is the thinking. There's soft spots in my wife's character. There's... There's things she struggles with. There's fears that she has. There's, there's people that want to attack her that I need to keep away from her. I, I need to offer strength in those areas. Those areas where she is weak and your wife is going to have different areas of weakness than, than your buddy's wife. And so you need to know her and understand her. So submission goes both ways. Understanding is essential. Then the third mark of a godly husband the third wall to this fortress is that cooperation is expected. Look at verse 7 again. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. That phrase, showing them honor, means to assess that they have incredibly high value and then assign that value to them and then treat them as such. That's the idea, right? The word honor simply means value or respect or status. And so the idea is that a husband should treat their wife with respect, with courtesy, with kindness, with dignity, right? Like she's a dignitary, a VIP, right? She should be, be treated like that high value individual in your life. And, and to be quite honest, sometimes husbands, um, I've, I've heard stories and in, in stuff where, where there's times where you don't treat her that way. And again, we all stumble and we all fall, and that's where God comes in and restores and forgives. But the idea, the ideal to shoot for is to treat her like the most important person in your life that she is, second to Jesus Christ. You guys remember the word chivalry? Right? It means an honorable and a polite way of behaving towards women. Chivalry, being a gentleman, the idea of opening doors for women, showing them honor right? Pulling the chair out. Some of you in this room might be like, that actually happened? <laughs> I've heard legends. Again, I believe modern secular society has worked extremely hard to, to demonize this type of behavior, all in an effort to push the agenda, which in its modern context is there is no male, there is no female. Matter of fact, there's 4,000 different genders. And if you can't find one, just make one up, and we'll have to accept that too. Chivalry, treating women with respect and dignity. You know, when I was growing up, uh, my mom and dad, even though we weren't a Christian household, they, they taught me, treat women with respect, treat women with dignity. However, when I got to high school, I experienced uh, um, 
some difficult things because as I would be in high school and I would be going on a date with a, a woman or just, you know, seeing a woman coming down the hallway or something, I would open the door. I found myself constantly getting yelled at because the act of opening the door for her implied that she couldn't do it herself. And that was the early days of feminism. And after that happening a whole bunch of times, I was retaught in high school that, that women are nothing special. Don't treat them as special. Don't you dare do anything that would imply because that's not what they want. So in my pre-Christian late high school years, I, I became, you know, just like the modern jerk, right? Not proud of it, but I would have situations where I would, you know, pick up a girl for a date and hop in the car, and, and in the rare instances where she would stand outside the door looking at me, I'd be like, are your arms broken? I mean, you know? I'm not proud of it, you know, but that was the attitude that developed because I was, it was beaten into my head that being a gentleman was not wanted by women, right? That's in the world. But I relearned real quick after I got saved. Real quick. The first Christian girl I dated who, whose parents raised her to seek a man who would treat her with honor and dignity, I learned real fast to go back to my roots and to treat women with dignity. And that's what he's talking about there when he says show them honor, to treat them that way. But he goes, show them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. And this co-heirs concept speaks of companionship, right? There's no superior or inferior in this relationship because a husband and a wife in a marriage, they share in the exact same inheritance. The inheritance is the grace of life, the outworking of God's will in your lives, both husband and wife. But even though that there is the exact same inheritance and you are co-heirs of that inheritance, there is a difference in male and female. And there is a difference that God created so that you guys could work together and cooperate together. Because guys, never forget, Jesus died for her as much as he died for you. Keep that in mind with how you treat her. Because you are treating, however you're treating, a child of God. But more importantly, and this should scare the pants off you, you're treating God's daughter. And he's a dad you don't want mad at you. So honor your wives as co-heirs of the grace of life. And the fourth mark of a godly husband, the fourth wall of this fortress, is that division is counterproductive. Notice the end of the verse. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. There might be some guys out there, some husbands that are hearing this and are like, you know, is it really that important that I yield my own individual wants and desires for what's best for her? Is it really that important that I, that I study her and that I labor to know her, you know, to know everything about her so that I could truly, fully love her the way she needs me to? Is it really that important that I treat her with, with value and honor and importance, all, all of that that she is due? Yeah, it really is. Because he says here that your prayers would not be hindered. Now you go, could my prayers be hindered if I don't treat my wife right? Is that what it's saying here? Yeah, that's what it's saying here. It's logical. It's also theological. See, that word hindered means to be thwarted, 
interrupted or prevented from accomplishing what it's intended to accomplish. The idea was used in a military sense of of someone blowing up a bridge or blowing up a road so that the enemy simply cannot advance past that point. It is Satan's desire, men, to dig a trench between you and God. Husbands, it is Satan's desire to cut off the communication that you have with your creator. And that communication is vital because God called you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How impossible is that? But that's what he called you to do. And if you think for a second you could do that on your own, wow, you're, you're, you're so wrong. <laughs> God called the husbands to do something that is so beyond their ability that it is only possible if you are desperately clinging to Christ every moment of every day, if you are constantly in his word and constantly in prayer and constantly being open to him just filling you with the spirit and moving and working through you, it is then and only then that you can do what he is calling you to do. And so Satan knows that if he could cut off your communication with the Lord, if he could cut off your relationship, he could cut off you talking to him, listening to him, hearing from him. And he does that by getting you to, to, to not treat your wife in this godly way that God is commanding. Now one of the big ways that your prayers can be hindered from being answered is simply unforgiveness. And, and I think every relationship, at least most that I've seen, <laughs> you know, they deal with this in one way or another at different times, right? There's a struggle. They hurt me. They said something to me. Guys, oh my gosh, she disrespected me. <laughs> you know, I feel so, so disrespected in my own home. And, 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 and we just, you know, carry these grudges and, and carry this anger and we let it fester. But Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15 said, for if you forgive others their offenses. Your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. I don't have time to go into the whole theology of what that means there, but I do know this. That husbands, if you are quick to forgive your wives of any hurt, any offense, if you are quick to say, God, I've sinned against you, I've hurt you, I've offended you, and so God, you forgive me instantaneously, so I'm going to forgive her. And you say, God, help me and help my heart and help my you know, frustrations or whatever it may be. God's going to hear that prayer. God, help me treat my wife the way you want me to treat her. God hears that prayer. And that communication is going to stay open and that growth and that blessing that God has for you will keep flowing. One married couple I, I, I know very well, they practice this, this very, very important thing and their marriage is just strong and healthy because of it. And this is what they do. They just have a, a, a I don't want to call it a pact, but they've just decided that in their marriage they will never go to sleep at night without forgiving each other of whatever they need to forgive each other for. They may go, we still need to have a conversation and we could do that tomorrow, but they don't go to bed angry with each other. They refuse to ever have a situation where you go sleep on the couch. No, they will not allow that into their marriage. And they have one of the strongest, healthiest marriages I've ever seen. 
It's beautiful. So biblically, what I see taught here is that evasion of husbandly duty will bring interruption to heavenly blessing. So if you want to see God's blessing stop in your life, husbands, fail to do these things. <laughs> That's it, you know? So husbands, husbands-to-be, maybe, if you have this picture in your mind of the perfect partner and you're constantly finding yourself in angst because the wife you're with maybe doesn't line up to that perfect picture, tear that picture up. Throw it away. Embrace the person. Accept the imperfect person that God has blessed you with. You're married to an imperfect person, and so is your wife. You both fail. You both struggle, and husbands, that's why it's so important that you need to yield. You need to understand. You need to honor and you need to forgive because it's inside the four walls of that fortress that I believe your marriage can be kept safe, your marriage can be made strong. And husbands, husbands especially, I believe that in a very practical way, this is how you love your wife as Christ loved the church. So, be blessed. Put it into practice. Much prayer. You know, and I think God's going to bless you, you know. And so I just want to close on this. As I opened with, um, go Rams. <laughs> but don't forget that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. <laughs> You're welcome. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, God. Lord, you are so faithful. And God, it's when we, when we yield ourselves to you. God, you've given us a free will, God, and quite honestly, it's a will that is, is rebellious. It is a will that demands its own way, God, but when we choose to yield our will to you in obedience, to do what you're calling us to do, to be the people you're calling us to be, God, we know that when we yield to you, God, your Holy Spirit works within us. We know your Holy Spirit is with us uh, uh, based on our salvation, God, but, but the work of molding and shaping us, God, it's when we yield to that that you do a work in us to allow us to be the people we can't be on our own, to, to, to behave in ways we can't do on our own. And so, Lord, I just, I pray for the husbands today. I pray, God, that this reminder to them of, of, of what you're calling them to, Lord, would encourage them, God. It wouldn't be something daunting or something uh, meant to put them down or anything, God. It would just be a challenge before them that they would know as they yield to the Holy Spirit and let you work in their lives, Lord, they will be able to love their wives the way you're calling them to do so. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would give both husbands and wives in this room patience with one another, that you would allow them to be quick to forgive one another, but especially the husbands today, God, that as they yield what they might think is best for them in exchange for what's best for their wife, Lord, as they work and labor, put in the time to know their wife. Inside and out, Lord, every quirk, every nuance. Lord, even every, every, every trauma and difficulty, God, that they would be able to, to be patient in loving her the way she needs to be loved. God, that as you work in the husbands to treat their wives as, as just oh, priceless, Lord. That, God, you would just bless relationships. 
you would bless marriages. And so, God, we just want to see you working through all of those situations, God, that your name would be glorified, that the Christian marriages here and in those online and those that, that are all over the world that may see this video later, God, that those marriages would accomplish what you intended them to accomplish, Lord, to be just the most beautiful, wonderful picture of the relationship you desire to have with mankind. And so, God, we just ask that you would bless us, that you would keep us, that you would shine your face upon us, Lord. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's worship.